0: Welcome to My New Life, a Love Every podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Rolfe. We talk a lot about connected parenting at Love Every. Australian experts are ahead of the curve when it comes to building strong parent-child relationships. In this mini-series, I'll speak with Australian parent educators, psychologists, and pediatricians about setting loving limits. For the most part, limits provide a framework that helps everyone move through the day more fluidly and with less friction. But today, we're going to talk about limiting beliefs, beliefs that interfere with our own well-being and that of our family. A big one is this notion that we can have it all. For parents who work outside the home, this can compound the pressure we already feel to be in more than one place at a time, wishing you could be at home when you're at work and chipping away at work expectations when you're at home. And for parents who work inside the home, the line between family and professional needs gets easily blurred, leaving everyone wondering Am I a good enough fill in the blank parent, employee, boss? Psychologist and motherhood coach, Yara Heery, knows this dance all too well. And she's here to help us explore how these limiting beliefs show up for us, because being aware of these thoughts is the first step towards changing them. Welcome, Yara.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me here. So what are some of the limiting beliefs that some of your clients have? Yeah, you know, I work with mothers specifically. And in that space, one of the things that I hear a lot are beliefs around worthiness. Things like, you know, I don't earn enough income, so I can't put my kids in childcare, or I am not valuable enough to spend time or money on my own needs and my own desires. Those are the sorts of things that I hear quite a lot. And I think that if we internalize those kinds of beliefs, it makes it really difficult for us to access joy and to access self-compassion. How do we get clear about what our own limiting beliefs are? One of the things that I really encourage people to do is when you are feeling distressed, when you're in your mothering and everything is feeling really overwhelmed, And one of the signs of that for me is that I get in a space where I just feel burnt out. So I'm feeling like I really want to escape, like I just want to get away. And that's the big sign for me that I'm depleted, overwhelmed, burnt out. And when that happens, I start to, you know, check in with myself about, well, what are the things that have happened that have led me to be here? And when I start to do that kind of discovery, it always leads me back to a place where I say, well, what is the thinking that happened that allowed me to, for example, not express my need or not set a boundary? What is What, what are the thoughts that happened? And often for me, the ones that really show up for me are that concern about being a present enough mother. For example, allowing myself to... To pull back from work, which I think is, re- is, is required sometimes as well, but maybe doing it to an extent that is more than I, than I need to be doing in order to meet my own needs, and checking in with, with that kind, of, you know, with the thoughts that sort of arise in the background there. So, really, what we're talking about here is self-reflection. So, really taking time to really analyze those thoughts and behaviors that are leading us into that place where we are now feeling overwhelmed or depleted. And really, like I said, paying attention to those times where we feel stuck or we, or we feel anxious or maybe there's fear or guilt, shame is another really big one. So tuning into shame stories always gives us an idea about what the limiting belief is that may be present there. And as part of that self-reflection, journaling is a really wonderful option. And That's something that I don't use as often as I'd like to use, but when I do use, it is always because things are not going well for me. So being able to do that in that time allows me to really uh, expand on the thinking in a different way than I would do if it was just in my mind.
0: I want to double-click on something that you said. You talked about one of your limiting beliefs is that you were not a present-enough parent – I think I heard you say that. And maybe I heard you say that because I wanted to hear you say that because that is one of my worries that, you know, my mind is on work when I'm at home. And then sometimes my mind is on the kids when I'm at work. But oftentimes I do get swept up in the adult work. Uh, I find it really intellectually stimulating. I love this company. I love what we're doing. And then I'm like, wait a second, am I being present enough to my kids? Because I can still feel that churning going in the back of my mind about solving a work problem.
1: What do you say to this? The interesting thing about this is that even women who I've worked with who do not have paid work still have this feeling. It really speaks to the possibility that there is an ideal that we all are holding on to, which is which is maybe unattainable, right? Like if you are not, full, if you're not in full-time work and you're in full-time care, like some full-time paid work rather, I'd say, and you're in full-time care work with your children, that is all encompassing. But also there is so much else that needs to be done within that too. Like no one is just minding their children, right? People are running a household, you know, and all the parts that go along with that, And even within that, people still can feel like they are not present enough. And so the question is, why do I feel that I am not present enough? What is the standard? And I think doing that kind of inquiry is really important. What is the standard of a good enough mother? And I think for me, when it comes to limiting beliefs around mothering and around career in this space for me, it always comes back to asking the question of what is the standard? What is the standard that I'm holding for myself and where has it come from? So for many people, they may say, well, a good enough mother is someone who's able to remain calm all the time around their children, right? Like that's unrealistic. That's unrealistic. It's actually just impossible. We're not robots. We're humans, right? So if we have these standards that are unattainable, not only are they limiting us in terms of our human expression and in in our humanity, but they're also going to be a source of continued feelings of failure and shame and guilt. It can make us feel anxious. It can make us feel low in our mood. What about this concept that we can have it all? Mm, I love that you've asked that. I love, love, love that you asked that. And I cannot remember who it was that that originally said this particular thing. But I believe that you can have it all, but not all at the same time. And that has been such a breath of fresh air for me to really hold on to that because I am someone who before having children, if I wanted something in my life, I just went and did it. And I would work as hard as I needed to, to get that done. And so for me, my experience of becoming a mother and losing some of that autonomy to the responsibility of motherhood, and as well of of understanding that if I want to show up, In my highest capacity as a mother, it does mean putting some things on hold. That idea that I can still have the things that I want, but that there is a time for each of those things has been really powerful for me. And it's something that I often talk about with women who have just become new mothers. So for the first time, because that's the first time they may be experiencing that kind of phenomena. So saying to them at different stages in your mothering journey, you'll be able to have more contact with multiple things at the same time. But in the early stages where there is so much need and so much dependency, it means that some things do have to be put on hold. And I love even just the idea of saying it's on hold. It's not gone. We are not. We haven't said goodbye to parts of our lives completely. It just means that there needs to be a little bit of a slowing down at some point. And then we can connect back with that again.
0: I think a lot of parents worry that they're going to lose their edge if they choose to, if they have the option to choose to be at home with the children, they're
1: worried. So tell me about these trade-offs and how that's evolved for you. Sure you know before i went into being back in my business i it was really important for me to still be engaged in some way with the content of my business or the content of my work so even thinking about it in that perspective if i can't be in my business running my business seeing clients running workshops you know being on podcasts or whatever how else can i be in touch with that part of me that really thrives on learning about you know psychological concepts and things like that or about business and stuff, well, okay, some of how I can do that is, is by remaining engaged with other people in this industry in some way. It also involves potentially doing short trainings that fit in with uh, raising children. It involves maybe keeping on top of latest research and things like that by reading books and articles and stuff. So how can I still be in contact with that part of me without getting so deeply into that, that then it becomes actually really challenging for me to show up as a mother. Did you
0: know that 85% of your child's brain is developed by age three? The play kits by Every are an easy way to support your child's learning. Each kit includes expert design toys and activities that build important skills and inspire your child through stage-based play. When you sign up for the play kits, we deliver a box to your home every two to three months that's matched your child's age and what they're hungry to learn. Love Every provides the map to help you confidently guide your child's learning. Unlock the joy of intentional play. One more question on this achievement. So uh, there's also this notion of getting credit and getting achievement when you're working outside the home and you oftentimes the credit doesn't come to you as quickly when you're working in the home. And so talk to me about that process of kind of letting go of that
1: ego place of wanting credit, wanting achievement, wanting to be recognized. Yeah. I think that this is so tough and I'm so glad that you raised it. I'm sort of seven years into my mothering journey and it is absolutely still present for me, (laughs) you know? And I think that, You know, I have a podcast where I talk to mothers who work in the space of supporting other mothers uh, throughout their mothering journey. And for some of those women that I have spoken to, they have like teenage children, they have children who are now adults themselves, and it still is a thing that exists for them. And I think that we need to understand that the reason that that exists is because of our socialization. We have been socialized to really feed off the reinforcement that we receive externally to ourselves. And I think a part of that also comes from the fact that belonging is so important for us as humans and for our survival. If we think back to when we are babies, belonging is key for us to survive. If we don't belong, we cannot survive. Just knowing that that is something that exists for you is something for us to just sit with, right? Like the discomfort that we experience when you know, we have a day and we feel like we've got nothing done. I feel like I have those days (laughs) every single time I'm with my kids, right? I mean, if I later on, if I go back and go through a list and actually write down, I'm like, wow, I've actually done a lot of things, but none of them feel meaningful because what is meaningful and what is considered achievement and of value is not necessarily the stuff that I'm doing in the home, right? And I think that some of that well, a lot of that actually comes back to, again, socialisation, but from the perspective of, you know, we're living in a system which is very patriarchal and very capitalist and the work of mothers isn't valued, right? The caretaking work of mothers is not valued and is not seen as as economically important, as politically important, all of the rest of it. You know, the truth of it is is that it is almost the most important work that can be done, right, because we are creating the next generation of people. So I think it's really important for us to understand some of the background there so that we can use that in our own self talk when we're noticing that's happening.
0: Yeah. I went to my daughter's performance today and I was like getting so many things done at work and then I get to the performance, get the car parked, get in there just in time and then I sit and I'm like being and I'm just watching her and watching the kids. It's a sweet performance. I'm a little bit bored I love watching my daughter from afar, but there's, you know, so many kids, it's kind of hard to see her face all the time. And so it reminded me so much of parenthood as being rather than that dopamine, that positive reinforcement you get from getting things done and from completing projects and being creative and having a solution. And, you know, so it's just, it's a totally different also way of, yeah, of being. Yeah. And so I think that is also- yeah, it's the long game, and it's it it can be a hard shift for a lot of people. I want to get into a couple of questions that we got. This mom shares her experience with us, and I just want to play this for you and get your reaction.
1: I find it difficult that the most time I spend with my children, it just seems to be in a rush. So in the morning, rushing to get ready for the day, and then in the afternoon, Transitioning back
0: from work into home life and rushing to get dinner on the
1: table and rushing the baby off to sleep and then the toddler, uh, it just seems like the time that we get together is unsettled and moving towards something else rather than just sort of purposeful. I think that one of the ways that we can work with that, and I also really want to recognize that, you know, this this answer is laden with privilege as well that I'm, I'm going to provide. And I'll talk a bit more about that as well. But I think one of the ways that we can support our, ourselves in slowing down and to have more intentional time is to actually think about what do we have going on in our day and how can we be really intentional about the time we spend with our children, even if it's just in small pockets of time. And the reason why I say that I know that that's privileged is because obviously there are many mothers around the world who have to work, for example, long hours in order to support uh, their families, whether they are single mothers or not. So I really want to recognise that and say you know, how awful it is to be in those situations. But even within that, one of the things from a sort of psychological intervention perspective that I often talk about with clients is around creating what I call special time. And it's talked about a lot in different parenting sort of ideologies, but creating special time, which is it can be 10 minutes worth of time with each child that you spend one-on-one doing something that is just completely directed by them. And where you are not on your phone, we're trying really hard to put thoughts away for later that we may have that are outside of what is happening in this moment. And you can even spend some time with your kids before starting that, where you just really front load that. So really explaining what special time is, how long it's gonna be for, if it's gonna be ideally one child at a time and, and thinking about then brainstorming how you will, you know, either get care for the other child or what you can set the other child up with when you're doing that. And I think also in a fast-paced world that we live in is thinking about where can we have ritual for connection with our children. And this is where, you know, that special time is one of them, but the other one is can there be a ritual created in the morning before there is a parting? Can there be a ritual created in the night before there is a parting because going to bed is a parting, right? Thinking about those things as those special moments that are short-lived but powerful,
0: yeah, and speaking of attachment, I have something that I want to play for you, which is a question from a listener. I really want <laughs> Cyber graveyard, it's 12 hours. I leave around 6.45 p.m. My nine-year-old is, is okay. He knows that I'm going to work. But my two and a half, it's, it's so hard to leave him every time he says
1: no no and he'll stand at the window when I leave and then he'll cry and then I can't look at mm. yeah that's really tough this morning I had a very similar situation <laughs> as well so you know my son is in uh Primary school, he's in year two, and my daughter is in kindy, kindergarten. And it's her first time in a structured kind of environment. And she's been fine and very excited about going there. She's quite used to the school because we've been going there for a while with my son. But on this morning, she really didn't want me to go. And so what that meant for me was a lot of holding space to listen to those emotions and then also recognizing when it got to a time where I had to leave because I you know, was coming to have a chat with you. And really holding the boundary on that. But one of the things that we can do there is if we can't hold space for the feelings of our children in the moment, which actually often happens, especially when we have multiple children, because there are multiple needs at the same time, is returning and circling back to listen to the needs later on. In fact, I said to my daughter this morning, last night she was really distressed. I was trying to deal with my son and and, uh, support him with his reading from school. And so I couldn't give her what she wanted, which was just time literally to listen to her cry. And so this morning I said to her, when we were parting for school, I remembered that. And I said, you know, last night, I really didn't have the time to listen to your tears, did I? And she was like, no. And I said, I've got lots of time for you this afternoon. When I see you after school, we can sit together and you can tell me all about the feelings, but I need you to hold on to them for a little bit longer. And that was just the, re- the reality of it for me. Like we can't always be, we're not always in a position where we can listen to the tears, but we can circle back and, and come back. And a lot of that, you know, to me, that's a process of rupture and repair. There was a rupture last night. I am I have intention to repair and I speak to her about that intention to repair. And so, you know, for a mother in the same situation as this one who who rang and left that message, Reminding them that when they come back, there is an opportunity for repair. So, rupture is frequent in parent child relationships and it's something that we can't avoid. And so, just keeping in mind that you always have the power of repair, which means coming back and bringing it up. You know, this morning you were really upset and mama had to go because I had to go to work. Tell me about how that felt for you. The other way that we can do that is actually through play. So, in this special time that I spoke about earlier, is offering up like role play situations where maybe they are the mother and they're leaving you and you're the one that's crying and really upset that gives them power and it also gives them an opportunity to actually work through the process that that happened in the morning as you said earlier you know so much of parenting is just about presence and so being the the regulated adult who can be there to listen to and help you know regulate the feelings and emotions and nervous system state of our children.
0: Yeah. There are so many demands on us as parents. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for framing that rupture as an opportunity to create even more connection later. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It has been wonderful having
1: you with us. Thank you so much, Yara. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Really lovely.
0: You can find Yara Heery at Life After Birth Psychology. Here are my takeaways from the conversation. Takeaway number one, I discussed with Yara a limiting belief I often have. I am not a present enough parent. Yara encouraged me to look at the standard to which I'm measuring my worth as a mother. Where did that standard come from? What is enough? This goes for any of the limiting beliefs we have. Takeaway number two. Yara ascribes to the notion that you can have it all, but not all at the same time. There are seasons when one or another role is going to take priority. Give yourself permission to settle into the current role, knowing that there will come a time when you can switch hats. Takeaway number three, the early stages of parenthood come with huge amounts of need and dependency. Give yourself permission to slow down. And while you may need to put other responsibilities on hold, those parts of your life can take center stage again at a later date. In the meantime, keep learning about your other passions so that you're prepared when that day comes. Takeaway number four, when caring for young children, it can often feel like you haven't achieved much, but that comes down to what we perceive as meaningful. If you write down all that you've ticked off in a day, it may be easier to reevaluate those tasks as meaningful, valuable caretaking. Takeaway number five, if you're working outside the home and finding the separation painful, focus on 10 minutes of special time with your child each day. This is the time where the phone is out of reach and you're following your child's lead. If your child has trouble saying goodbye when you leave for work, talk about this special ritual you will have, when it will happen, and what it will look like. Takeaway number six, rupture is frequent in parent-child relationships, and it's something we just can't avoid. Keep in mind that you always have the power of repair, which means circling back. You were really upset and mama had to go because I had to go to work. Tell me about how that felt for you. Play is a great way to repair, too. Play out what your child experienced with favorite toys and talk about what the toy might be feeling. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed on the show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L O V E V E R Y.com. Be sure to sign up for our weekly child development emails. I'm Jessica Rolf. Thanks for listening.